0: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind the scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field.
1: Welcome to Behind the Knife. This is Kevin Canary. I'm bringing you a special episode today on leadership. This podcast is a co-production with a leadership podcast my friend Cal Walters runs. Cal Walters is a great friend of mine who is a West Point graduate, a ranger, combat-tested infantry officer, JAG lawyer, father, and fantastic friend. He runs a leadership podcast titled Intentional Living in Leadership that focuses on self-improvement to help you become a better leader. Or as he said it and his about me, pursue personal growth and leadership excellence to inspire others and make a lasting impact on the world. Some of you uh, may have some more free time as elective cases are postponed. So if you're interested in focusing on self-improvement and tactics to become a better leader, I highly recommend his podcast, Intentional Living and Leadership with Cal Walters. He approached me about this episode of leadership in a healthcare crisis, and I thought this is something that we do not talk about enough in surgical training or on this podcast, which is how to develop surgical leaders. Many of us are leaders, whether we're running a service or were a chief resident running an entire residency, or have an actual academic title. But there's very little taught throughout surgical training about how to be an effective leader. In crises like today, the need for effective surgical leaders is never more apparent. We decided to draw on the experience of two leaders who have served in multiple combat deployments, and we wanted to see what they learned from these experiences and how we can apply it to the COVID crisis today. The first interviewee needs no introduction on Behind the Knife, Dr. Scott Steele, chief of colorectal surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, dominator of days and veteran of four combat deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. He hopped off a 90-minute Peloton ride to join us on this podcast. The other guest, Dr. Tom Husted, is a retired Army colonel. Highlights from his career include deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. He was awarded the Flight Surgeon of the Year for service in combat. And in his final appointment in the military, Dr. Husted was the commander and CEO of the NATO Military Medical Facility at the Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers Europe, in Belgium. Dr. Husted currently practices as a family physician at Hardin Memorial Health and serves as medical director for their employed medical group. Dr. Husted also co founded the Referent Group, which provides leadership training, coaching, and resources for healthcare leaders with an emphasis on servant leadership. Before we dive into this, I want to let you guys know we have multiple episodes in the work tailored to surgeons on critical care management to COVID patients. We have a surgical critical care doc from Cornell, uh, Dr. Narayan, who's going to join us, um, and he's going to talk about uh, being in the trenches and managing an entire ICU of COVID patients and and how to follow the protocols. Um, We also are going to have an episode Uh, talking about some of the kind of less clinical things, but more practical things of things such as how to get a COVID positive patient to the OR and operate on them effectively, how to convert ORs into ICUs, and then uh, how to set up a procedure team uh, to help out uh, with these patients, or as the Columbia Surgery Residents call it, a SWAT team, uh, the Surgical Workforce and Access Teams. So uh, a lot of stuff coming. Uh, Keep your eye out uh, for these podcasts will be coming out the next two days, and uh, please enjoy this episode on leadership.
2: Gentlemen, thank you for being here today. We've come together at truly an unprecedented time in at least our lifetimes. Our nation's entire medical ecosystem is mobilizing for war against COVID-19. Right now, the scope and the scale of the coming fight is something that we have not seen in the healthcare industry. With Dr. Husted and Dr. Steele, both with experience in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, I'm excited for you all to be able to share some of the leadership principles, the proven leadership principles that you've learned through that experience. Um, I'd love to start with Dr. Kinnear. You are in New York City, the epicenter of this crisis. Can you kind of take us to what you're seeing at your hospital in New York City to kind of set the stage?
1: Yeah, for the listeners out there, I'm a I'm a vascular surgery fellow, and this is really a crisis in the critical care and kind of medicine, non-surgical issues. So I've really been a bystander and had have gotten to have an interesting perspective on this. I'm really not in the middle of the fight as of yet, um, but I've been able to kind of visualize what the hospital and the leadership is doing. So currently, as of 28 March, New York City is the epicenter of coronavirus in the U.S., There are 30,000 infected um, accounting for one third of all coronavirus cases in the U S and three to 4% of these patients are ending up in the ICU on ventilators. And once they're in the ICU on a ventilator, the mortality rate is close to 50% based on studies out of China and Italy. Uh, We haven't had enough time to really see that here yet because they've just been put on ventilators in the past week. And many times these patients are on ventilators for a week to a month. Um, and so it's, it, we haven't really seen what the mortality rate's going to be here. But currently in, the U, in New York City, uh, there's a death from coronavirus every 10 minutes. We're 10 days into a citywide lockdown. And the, the peak of the virus isn't expected to hit till about two weeks from now. Um, and the, part of the reason for this is many of these patients are asymptomatic for four to seven days before they even show any symptoms. And then the average length of infection before needing a ventilator is 10 to 14 days. Um, But once they do become sick, they decompensate very rapidly, which means they they go from being fine to needing uh, breathing assistance within within hours. Um, So all hospitals by Dr. Cuomo or I'm sorry, by Governor Cuomo uh, were ordered to increase their capacity of ICU beds and ventilators by 100 percent. Uh, the convention center is actively being turned into a thousand-bed ICU with the help of the U.S. Army field hospitals, and the mercy ship is arriving in New York City this Monday um, to help with non-COVID patients. So that's sort of what we're seeing—just the kind of basic facts here in New
2: York City. It's definitely a definitely a scary time. Wow, Dr. Steele, what are you seeing in Cleveland? Yeah, I would agree with a lot of the things that Kevin said. Obviously, the
0: differences between the pulmonary or the critical care medicine and surgery at these days are a little bit different. You know, uh, we have not seen yet the upswing here in Cleveland as we record this. And, you know, I think we're actually somewhat blessed here in Cleveland for the size of the city and the surrounding region. We have three major, major medical systems here that are all working together in unison to establish best practices and share ideas and, and strategies for then how to scale this as we needed. That not only considers the current conditions, but expectations, as Kevin talked a little bit about modeling. You know, I, I would say our leadership at the Cleveland Clinic, where I am currently the chairman of colorectal surgery, has done an outstanding job uh, with communication, transparency. These are, I know, some of the concepts that we're going to talk a little bit about today, but also that operational aspect to Prepare people. You know, we talk about uh, redeployment and other things about how we get people and they're out of their comfort zone, but also trained up appropriately. That's a lot of the things that we've done in the military in the past in terms of cross training. And, you know, to prepare for what many people in the world have already been experiencing, as Kevin said. You know, as many people have discussed that are far more knowledgeable on this topic than I am, this pandemic has really no particular ties to an aspect of society. And it not only touches kind of health, but it also touches economically and social norms and lifestyle choices and really mandates uh, what we look at from all aspects to not only choose how we're going to respond individually, but also on a collective level. And then that's nothing to say. Also, what is the way forward? What's very interesting about pandemics oftentimes is what comes out of this, both in negative light, but as well as in a positive way. And some of the ways, you know, you could take a simple Google and see what has come out of different pandemics of the past. And maybe it's the online uh, virtual visit platform or something like that. So um, trying times, something that, uh, you know, we haven't experienced, but uh, it's an interesting topic and I appreciate the invitation.
2: Yeah, uh, to Dr. Steele's point, I think there's just so much uncertainty, and uh, I think you both mentioned that you're kind of building to uh, something that maybe has not yet fully arrived. And I think there's this sense of preparation. Dr. Husted, you are uh, a medical director. You also uh, are the founder, and you run a leadership consulting company, the Referent Group. What are you seeing at your location, and what type of leadership? advice might you give to those healthcare providers that are on the front lines or running a hospital during these difficult times?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, as far as what we're seeing, it'd be similar to what our colleagues have just talked about. I, you know, we're dealing with issues that's, that you hear about on the news all the time, the ability to test, the uh, PPE, the protective equipment, not having what exactly what you want and the ideal and, and, and running short, how do you use it in a better way? All the mitigation strategies, you know, canceling uh, routine stuff and surgeries, and figuring all that out, and, and from a leadership perspective, these are some these are significant significant issues that we have never dealt with before. So it's a it's a uh, a problem that there is no playbook yet. I don't you know we're just trying to figure this out. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's uh, there's some things that we more than ever we need good leadership in these times. And I so as they've stated, I. I think it's a great platform for us to be able to share, hey, the military has some really neat ways of addressing leadership in crisis. And, you know, before we get into some of the details, I I would say some of the things that, um, you know, as as I've matured as a leader and made a lot of mistakes along the way, one thing I am learning is leadership is never about me. So it's always about uh, the people that you're leading. And I think if we can start with some big, you know, type of leadership, um, thoughts like that, that it's how do we set the people that we're leading, you know, that surgeon, that internal medicine doc, that nurse, whoever it is, um, the dining facility workers, all those, how do we set them up for success? So how do we give them the things that they need to be successful? If we can start with that thought, uh, that it's not about me trying to be successful or me trying to uh, you know, separate myself or whatever it is, it's about them. That's a good start. And then Quite honestly, Cal, uh, in this situation from a big level perspective, you posted something uh, You know, I read up I mean, sometime in the past week about some of your thoughts on the COVID-19 and, and what it's causing. And one of them that stuck with me was fear is contagious, but so too is courage. And that thought right now is a great thought. There is a lot of unrest. There's a lot of fear and concerns among the medical community um, at every level, quite honestly. And And when I say courage, you know, and and you kind of spelled it out too, it's not reckless courage. It's not, I'm going to go in and take care of a COVID patient, but I'm not going to wear my PPE. That's silly, right? That's reckless. It's courage. And, you know, maybe it's the courage to, um, to just attack the situation, um, think critically, solve problems and hopefully inspire the people that you are working for to, to, to lead to join you on that team and go forward. So those are kind of some overarching thoughts that I, I had as we were considering this. And then I know we'll get into maybe some of the little more uh, detailed things as we as we continue on. But uh, thank you for, for having me. I, I look forward to this discussion.
2: Dr. Houston. just to kind of follow up from that, uh, you mentioned kind of having to get into these new rhythms for a lot of people. This is a new pace of operation, I imagine, for a lot of hospitals, for a lot of physicians, nurses. What specifically should leaders be thinking about as they transition to maybe a new pace that in a lot of ways probably mirrors combat? Uh, Not to mention the fact that there are probably a lot of these same emotions that people feel in a combat type situation, fear of people dying, fear of failure, not maybe knowing how to deal with some emotions that you're feeling potentially for the first time. How do you take care of your people? And then of course, how do you take care of yourself?
3: I, I, you know, that these are principles that seem so basic, but we often, especially doctors, we fail at because it's almost a badge of courage to stay up all night. So we've, you know, take call every second or third night. We've, we've been there, we've done that. And so to, to sleep or maybe even to eat may be a sign of weakness, you know, cause I don't have time for that. I got to move. And, uh, if we don't take care of ourselves, and again, these are simple principles, but if the leader doesn't take care of himself, whether that's sleeping, nutrition, Exercise uh, emotionally, spiritually. Then how do you, how do you take care of your people? And understanding that they have ish- they have the needs of the same thing: the sleeping, the 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 eating appropriately, taking the breaks they need, exercise. But also, they have a significant emotional component that you want to meet that need, um, and and don't dispel it. You know, talk about it. Ask how they're doing. Um, try to give some some breaks from the from the chaos where you can where you can do those kind of things and and realize that it's not just what they're doing in the hospital, it's their family. And I'm seeing it, you know, a lot of people are scared to bring it back to their families. How's it affecting their families? So not missing those opportunities to talk through those issues uh, with those that you're leading um, is important.
2: Dr. Steele, uh, pulling from some of your combat experience and leadership elsewhere, what have you found is important to sustain yourself during difficult times?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, and Tom's words are uh, are critical and very important that some of the most basic things sometimes get overlooked. Uh, I think you have to it both from a collective as well as an individual. So individually, you have to know yourself. And it's really, uh, as he said, it's a time to check in, not just with yourself, but with everybody physically, mentally, spiritually, just as he kind of outlined there. But the reality is, is as you're leading, you, you have to make sure that your team understands number one that um, that they were trained appropriately for a situation that they have a mission and whether that mission is you know providing world class care of these patients who come in and yeah it might be a, a novel disease that comes in you're still a respiratory tech or you're still a surgeon or you're still somebody um, and you have a mission to be able to do and you you have been trained and experienced in that and to allow them to make sure that they know that they are uh, that they're there to do their job and that they're adequately trained to do their job. I think with some of the things that I was talking about before, very briefly in terms of, you know, taking on and cross training and stuff, that that provides a little bit of some uncertainty, whereas, you know, we're used to operating and this is not, as Kevin said, uh, an operative disease. And so, but we've gone back to residency. We've had uh, some surgical critical care experience in managing vents and stuff. So how do we as leaders then go in and make sure that we get the proper refresher courses, but we also have the backup and that person there side by side who is along you with the way so that you don't seem like you're out on an island, but also that you're doing the right thing first and foremost for your patients. And so having those things in place and taking that time right now as an organization to get your people adequately cross-trained, to get them matched up appropriately, to plan for the scale of events if they do meet some of these modeling criteria, that's critical. I think that you know this whole concept of fear and how do you deal with fear, I think that, that, that crosses all boundaries you know, when we were in combat, I would tell you just as one example, one of my deployments in 2008, um, we had a specialist, the medic that was, um, that was, it was a good medic, but, you know, where we had gone in near the Iranian border, there wasn't a whole lot to do right away at the beginning. They'd kind of gone out and until one of the very mornings when we got hit with, I don't know, 15, 18 rockets in a row. And, uh, she went out into that and dragged people in, whereas other people, you know, maybe even some of the people who felt they were, you know, the most who I, if you will, uh, really had a different response to that one. And uh, if truth be told, I wouldn't have thought she was the one that would have gone out and dragged people in and, and she was. And so that concept of how you deal with fear, but to make sure you, you never really know, nobody really knows. And you know this is this is not unlike a lot of the situation as you said, Carl, a dealing with a combat situation where there's not only the fear of what's going to happen to you, but the person that you're taking care of and the, and the people around you. And so, you really do have to go back to the basics. I, I heard an interesting, uh, two interesting quotes this week. One of them was by Mark Cuban, actually on sports. I love sports, <laughs> and uh, he was on the Colin Coward show. And I don't know if this is his quote or not, but he said said remember that being a leader does not mean that you have to be the leader Uh, and I just that kind of struck with me and said you know that's so true because we need to be able to take a look around and listen to the people that are around us and take ideas no matter who they're from Tom said it really well the person who you know takes out the garbage versus the, the person who's the hvac guy versus the tech or the or the circulating nurse or you know the the respiratory tech all these different people can evaluate the situation bring their experience and expertise into it the other thing is is that i got my mba at case western and one of my um, the assistant deans there he had a he had an interesting concept of what he said about leaders he said that you need to balance a little bit of concern with tone. You need to let people know that you're human. But he, he always used to say a word. He'd say, um, think about Mickey Mouse. And, and as leaders, you need to outperform Mickey. And I didn't quite understand what he meant. But he said, think about the guy that's it's 100 degrees inside that Mickey Mouse suit. But what do the kids see that go to Disney World? They see the smiling Mickey. And somebody's in there, <laughs> even if they're having a bad day or they're upset or something. And, and part of the leader's job is to instill confidence, and they take that tone from you as a leader. And so, yeah, it, you don't have to be fake and anything like that. And It's okay to show that you have emotion, but you do need to balance that. Understanding that uh, during times of crisis, people will look towards their leaders. They will look towards you, and they will. You're setting the tone for that organization. And if you give off a of tone that you know that we don't know what we're doing, or we are underprepared or scared, they will, that as Tom said, fear is contagious, as you said, fear is contagious, but so is courage. And so it is that balance between the two. And that's something that I think that we need to acknowledge that balance and then kind of incorporate it into the day-to-day life.
2: Yeah, I think those are all incredible points. And I think, you know, I go back to my time in ranger school, for example, when I got lost and I lost my composure and everyone in my platoon also lost their composure and simultaneously their confidence in me. And I think as the leader, there's this element we have to, we may feel fear, but we have to remain, remain calm and remain composed because that has uh, an effect on our organization. Uh, Dr. Canary, I wanted to ask you about something that you've mentioned to me before, and it's about communication in times of crisis. I think Sometimes, uh, I think I was Dr. Uh, General McChrystal, Stan McChrystal was talking about how sometimes during times of crisis or during combat, our internal rhythms and our communication has to mirror the pace of our external circumstances. So right now, things are moving very quickly. What are you seeing at your hospital in terms of communication?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's they've done a fantastic job on on every level of communicating um, to us. So at, every day at ten o'clock, the, the CEO and the second in charge sit down and do a system wide uh, briefing that's recorded for everyone to hear, and they address everyone's concerns. And even when the information was bad, infor- or was not good news, such as "Hey guys, sorry, we still don't have the PPE, the pr- the personal protective equipment. We're looking for it. We're calling China. We're calling everywhere. We're doing what we can." we don't have it yet. We're going to do everything we can to protect you, but they, they tell us and they tell, and then a couple of days later it was like, Hey, that shipment that we were telling you about a couple of days, it's coming tomorrow. Um, so, and, and then down to the surgery department level, we, every, at eight o'clock, we have a de- department of surgery meeting where we go through how many residents have been impacted by the virus or quarantined, how we're adjusting the services because of this, um, and so I, I found it very helpful and very uh, reassuring because you, you feel like you really understand the, the fight and what the struggles even that the top leadership are going through.
2: And Dr. Houston, on that point, I think there might be this tendency in leaders when there's bad news to communicate. For example, PPE, we don't have the PPE that we need. There might be this, this uh, tendency to not give people the, the clear picture of what's actually going. What's the balance as a leader during these types of times between giving people honesty but also giving them hope.
3: I I I think transparency is important. I think uh Kevin you really touched on that that you were getting a lot of transparency from your leadership and that was helpful and I think that's important when you do it and and you know Scott talked about setting that tone and the tone is is important when you're conveying those things. So if your tone is it's calm, it's uh it's it's optimistic but it's also I'm going to listen to what the issue is. I'm going to create a space for us to think about what we're dealing with and, um, and then being able to respond to it in a way that is clear and concise and you can go ahead and share. I think you can share all the information that you have. I think there's no reason to try to kind of hold that information, hoping that it won't create fear. Um, because actually getting as much information out to as many people as you can helps to calm the situation, particularly as, as Scott was talking about the tone of which you do it. And so I think what, how Kevin was sharing with, with the organization is doing and trying to get information out in every way you can, no matter what that information is, 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 is incredibly important. In our hospital um, it's, it's evolving. We, you know, we don't know how to, how do you communicate? We have 500 plus medical staff and, and we've got three thousand plus employees. How do you get that out in a way that and that that people hear it? And we're we're slowly kind of making sure and, and changing practices so that we can get it to as many people as possible. Um, part of that is 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 also kind of rounding, to use a medical term, and uh, in, in a combat term for that matter, getting out and seeing who you're, where the people are, uh, and what their needs are, and then. Sharing that information at that level as well, and then getting their input, and we, we'll talk more about that. I think uh, Scott already touched on it. You know the importance of getting input from from every level um, in trying to to uh, make these decisions and 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 move this this ball forward, and how we're going to deal with the thing that we've never seen before.
2: Yeah, I want to follow up on that point with you, Doctor Husted. But real quick, I just want to highlight something both of you said about communication. Dr. Canary, with you, it sounds like every day there's this expectation that news is going to be delivered. Uh, same with you, Dr. Husted, of this consistency. In my organization right now, every day at about 5 p.m., I know there's going to be an email from our general officer giving us the most up-to-date information. And obviously, it's changing, but at least he's created this expectation that I know every day I'm going to get clear, honest communication. And I think leaders out there right now, you you can increase the pace of your communication. And it's okay to tell people, look, something has changed. This is fluid. We don't know, but I'm going to give you honest communication. Another thing, and and Dr. Hughes said, this might be something I could put to you. How important is it right now to give people encouragement? And maybe even more recognition, where you're seeing. Because I think there's there's a tendency when there's so much negativity, so much uncertainty, so many emotions. How is it important now to maybe increase the amount of recognition that you're giving to people, or increase the amount of face time you're getting with people?
3: I I, th- I think it's important in lots of ways to um, to hear people, to listen well, uh, because. And through that, you can then help them come up with solutions that they'll be empowered to know that, hey, you're listening, you're hearing them, they're they're giving good ideas, and then you're gonna empower them to to go out and, and take care of that. And I I think in this case, it's a um, it's a leadership principle that I have felt is just imperative and it's to just to lead with humility, knowing that you don't have all the answers, uh, you don't have and, and a lot of the answers are going to be out there, but you have to create a culture where people are willing to share because they know you're going to hear them. Um, you may not be able to do it all, but if you can encourage them as you're talking about consistently encouraged, thank you for that idea. That's a good idea. We're, we have this issue. Can you help us through that? Um, if you can really listen and think and allow them to work through that and then, you know, very humbly say that, it's not about my ideas. It's about what our best ideas are that we can move forward. That is an incredible encouragement to people that they're going to keep giving them. And, uh, you know, I, I work with Doug Crandall, who you had on your podcast. Um, I don't know about last week, I think it was, and he wrote a book, permission to speak freely. And one of the things overriding principles is how do you create a culture where people are okay saying whatever they need to say in any tone or environment with or, you know, any way they need to say it. Um, and it may not always be perfect, and it may come, like, we, I've had a lot of phone calls and a lot of texts saying, hey, Tom, think about this idea, or I have this concern, or you're not doing this, or, and, and sometimes it's, it's easy for me to think, oh, you know, I'm working as hard as I can here, you know, and take it personally, and as an attack, or, but if you can create a culture where people are willing to do that, and they have that sense of, uh, another very key term that is, they use in their book is assuming positive intent. That no matter how they say it, they're saying it from the goodness of what they want to accomplish. You know, it's not – and if you can assume that and you can and hear that and then encourage that as you kind of, you know, got to in the beginning of this question is how do you encourage that? Um, that's so important. As often as you can thank people for what they're doing, um, acknowledge the little things because when they acknowledge those little things, hey, you know, in the middle of that meeting – you stayed positive. You had a smile. That really made a difference. I could tell, uh, they're going to keep doing that. Cause you have, you have, you're, you're setting that tone for those things, little things that are important. So, um, I think it's probably right now for us to truly win this fight. So to speak, we have to find innovative ways in every way we can. And that's creating a culture where people are willing to do that and you can hear them and you can then acknowledge it and then give them the resources to go, you know, act on it. Hopefully that's the difference that it makes in your organization or maybe even across the, across the country.
2: Dr. Canary, I think you've mentioned before that, uh, your hospital right now is you're seeing some innovations in the sense that people are doing jobs that maybe they wouldn't normally do. Can you tell us a little about what you're seeing, uh, with individuals doing things that aren't really in their wheelhouse in terms of medical practice?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, so, you know, I'm at Cornell currently, and it's a hospital that really takes care of everything. Um, and we are basically have shut down everything other than, and making the entire hospital a critical care hospital. So all the pediatrics hosp- uh, patients were moved to an outside hospital. All of the patients that are non COVID positive were moved to the orthopedic hospital across the street. And uh, currently, uh, we have turned in the ORs into ICUs, and every ICU, whether it was a surgical ICU or not, has been turned into a kind of a COVID critical care unit. Um, and so what this is required is people cross training. So these nurses that have been working in the ORs, been working in clinics, they're all doing two week courses and they're shadowing these ICU nurses because currently we, we aren't maxing that volume out yet. So there's still time um, before the hospital's full of COVID patients, before these nurses will be expected to take care of them. So really the nursing staff has really been put um, through crisis. So have the residents and, and some some doctors also who are now taking critical care roles. But I've seen uh, really, they're really uh, putting a lot of tasks to the nursing force to really step up here.
2: Dr. Steele, are there any other combat principles that that you have applied in the past or just leadership principles that you've applied in the past that we haven't talked about yet that you think are critical during this time? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think all this stuff goes hand in hand, whether or however you say it. I'm a colorectal surgeon. And and so what I can tell you is the fact that when I was deployed in combat, I remember a medic said to me once, he said, don't, and I apologize about this, but I'll never forget. He said, don't feed me a bag of shit and tell me it's a brownie. Uh, And, you know, people want to know what they're, don't underestimate your team. You know, we talk about transparency People want to, under, you know, most people who have been in combat or most people who have been in critical situations, they want to know what's going on. And, you know, you, by ha- being transparent, having that communication and having honest and forthright communication is, you know, when you tell people, listen, we've got to go back out there again, they understand. But if you say, well, we may not, they, they know when it's something else is coming. And, I, and I, then all of a sudden, then you lose your team. You know, we talk about in sports a lot about the coach who lost the locker room. I think one of the worst things that you can do as a leader is lose the locker room because once you lose that trust, even if you're trying to do it in somewhat of a way, of trying to kind of hold some things back and and there's no, um, you know, there's no right or there's no wrong in it. To what degree does leadership keep some things within? Because let's face it, we don't always give everything out there, whether you're at a, whatever level of leadership that you're at, but. On a, on, a, on a team level, making sure that your team under uh, understands that and not underestimate their ability to cope and respond and understand the situation I, I think that's critical and I think that once once you start to run into trust problems, it's very difficult to get those type of things back. So as a leader, you need to really understand listen, I, you know I don't know where we're at. Tom said it before you know I, based on the current situation that we have right now, this is what I can tell you. Um, you know, this may change, it may be in flux, um, uh, it may change tomorrow, and, but this is the best information that I can give you. It's different from kind of trying to smooth something over or, or equivocate or do, uh, do something else where they're going to know if that's not the case. And then you lose that locker room, you lose that team, you lose that trust. And then it's very, very difficult to get that back.
2: Dr. Houston, I think, especially, I think anytime really, there's this tendency for leaders to want to control situations, I think, especially during times of crisis, but sometimes with control means micromanaging means not, you're not empowering your team. What should leaders be thinking about right now is they're probably feeling that need to control the situation. Should they still be kind of fighting that tendency and empowering their teams? Or is this a moment where you should maybe pull back and, and control a little bit more?
3: Uh, actually, I mean, I think Scott was just nailing it as far as get, thinking that you're in control and holding on to information is one example, exactly what he was saying, giving that information away. I think at this point we need to um, give as much away as we can to let people act and work and do the way, the way I mean, I actually, you know, Jeff Webb, I mentioned before he wrote an art, he wrote this article and he asked me for some input to it. That's what started this me kind of reflecting on how I'm doing as a leader, even in this current crisis and coming up with some thoughts and, Jeff had a you know some great principles, and one of the things that he wrote in the article was commander's intent. Which you know you think to the, our military days, the commander's intent is, hey, here's here's kind of the problem, and here's 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 our uh, resources, and here's our end state, and here's and here's how we need to get there. And then you as the leader need to go out and accomplish that. And as long as you know what the commander's intent is, you can make decisions. Uh, at the lowest level that fall within those those guidelines, and the way I it would to say it in, in, in the medical field is we have some really, really smart leaders you know th- we have physicians and other clinicians at a lot of different levels who are very smart, highly trained and and trained to think critically, so if we can give them as much of the information as we 've talked about as they can get if they need if they can give them hey, this is where we need to get to and one example for us has been. We want to mitigate in every way, out in our outpatient and in the hospital, the exposure to the COVID. How do we do that? Let's figure that out. And then here are, here's the resources that we have to do that. And I'm going to try to provide you as much as I can. Here are the constraints that we have to do that. And then within those boundaries, make good decisions. Because we have 50 some different clinics out there that, that all are a little bit different, have different resources, different layouts. They may not be able to do it the same way at everyone, but we have smart people in each of those clinics who can work together, who can think critically, take the information they've been given, give as much of the resources as you can, and then let them um, make decisions and, and make good decisions. Empower them to do that. You will come up with some brilliant ideas. You will see people make um, make decisions and put in place policies, protocols, uh, operating procedures, all those things that you never would have come up with yourself. And so as I go around and around and look at some of these clinics, I'm amazed by some of the uh, smart things they've done that I never would have come up with, but gave them as much of the information, as much of the resources, and a little bit of guidance of what the goal is, where we want to get to. And it's uh, it's just cool to watch them do it.
2: So as we're wrapping up here, I'd like to go around and just get some parting words of wisdom and advice from from each of you uh, to those that are out on the front lines right now trying to anticipate what is about to come. As we've mentioned before, we have kind of what's in front of us, and then we have the unknown that who knows how far off it is. And maybe you could speak to that as well. But I'd like to start uh, with you, Dr. Steele what advice does parting words would you offer for those out there that are trying again to lead in uncertain times and, uh, navigate so much uncertainty and also sustain themselves for what could be not weeks, but we're talking probably months, I would assume. And I'd like to get your perspective on, on that as well.
0: Yeah, I think you need to be flexible and be malleable. And that is not only on a personal level, but it's about all members of the team. I think that, you know, uh, having that ability to understand that it's, it's almost like trauma surgery when you're trying to intervene with incomplete information, right? Where with the best information that you have available and you got to be malleable. You got to be flexible. You got to be willing to kind of take a look back and say, God, that worked. That didn't work. And then the other aspect is that the last point that you touched on, we have to plan for the other side. And I'm not just talking about kind of what comes out of this, but I'm also talking about, you know, we didn't get as much into, but you know, a lot of the people out there—they have surgical disease or something that's put on hold right now. And when all this calms down, how do we track those patients? And how do we, you know, if you turn the lever back on, how are we planning ahead of taking care of that next level of when this all comes down, so we get those patients back in and take care of those? Because you know, the, the worst thing in the world you want to do is let anybody slip through the cracks, especially when we're talking about health. There's nothing more important to a person than health. We talk about money. We talk about all these other things, but let you get sick. Let somebody die. That changes your perspective on everything. And the one thing we share is we share health. And so, you know, we may say it's non-essential surgery right now for somebody who has X, Y, and Z, but to that individual patient, that may be the only thing that dictates their entire life and they can't have a quality of life without it. And so while it's important that we put our focus elsewhere, when we get back to the point how are we going to incorporate those patients back in the system? So there's no question there's different tiers of priority now, but don't forget about what are the next steps ahead.
2: Dr. Husted, uh, what kind of parting words would you offer as well? And I'm also curious to get a sense of how long do you think this is going to continue on?
3: Well, that's actually the the hardest part of it, Cal, is we just don't know. I mean, I, that's and that's the, the issue of, I think it's going to be protracted. Obviously, I don't think this is going to end in two weeks. Obviously, it's going to be at least months. Um, who knows what it'll look like even next year? You know, does it come back? There's so many unknowns that make this so difficult. Um, you know, we've talked about so many great leadership principles, and I my kind of parting thought was you. You know, you mentioned we had this referent group trying to teach leadership to to physicians. Quite honestly, and um, because you know, timely, we need physician leaders. We need medical leaders that, uh, you know, like never before with clinical experience. And, um, one of the biggest things, you know, Doug, like I mentioned, Doug has kind of put together this curriculum that he uses and with Matt Kincaid, you know, and then Jeff that we mentioned, and they, when they teach almost always, it's from a component of you've got to reflect. If you want to be a good leader, you have to take time for reflection. And I, you know, certainly in the heat of it, you, maybe it's only a few moments of just, I don't even to think before I do, let me reflect a little bit, but at times you've got to create space where you can reflect as a leader, because I mean, if I'm being honest, I, th- I went to West Point and I, you know, I was in the military as an officer and I went to leadership schools and all these different things. And I, I can honestly say about 15 years into my career, I was like, and you know, I suck as a leader. I, I just reflected and thought, this is, I'm not doing this well. I'm not, how am I making others succeed? I, and I realized that reflection is such an important part and they just hammer that home, how important reflection is. So quite honestly, even just thinking about doing this podcast, some of the things that you sent out, Jeff's article and that he sent me, Hey Tom, what do you think? Uh, caused me to reflect, even if it was at 5:30 in the morning when I woke up or late at night, going to bed to re- what are some things I've done, even in this situation, that I could have done better? What have I learned? Who And I, you know, I think back to some conversations that maybe I could have handled better. My own emotions, did I handle them well? You think of these principles, but it's, it's hard to do in the moment. So if you're not taking time to reflect, because this is going to be a while, um, learn from each, each thing that you do, whether it's the things that you did, the actual you know, specific things that you've implemented, or maybe it's just the way that you led you'll, you will do yourself well to, to, to give your chance, give yourself a chance to create space to think.
2: Yeah. I think Richard, you said, I have
3: one question on
1: that. Uh, how do they, you know, I, I think reflecting is probably a weakness of mine. Uh, what, what do they, what do you guys suggest and offer and in sort of concrete ways of how to, to reflect?
3: Yeah, good, good question. So it starts from the, from the very moment uh, that we initiate the program and, uh, it starts with reflecting on what makes you a leader. You know, what are your core values that define you as a leader? Because all of us are going to be different leaders. And it's, no one is, there's no right answer. You know, whoever you are is who you are. And if you, that's that's a really important part of your reflection is what are my core values? And then how do I pro- portray those um, to the people that I lead? And then reflecting on how we, we talk about not only ourselves, but how do we lead others and communicate with others? So there's some very specific um, tools that we use, probably the most powerful tool if you if that, that I see as we've been doing this has been a tool called the journey line, where you create this kind of journey in your life with the highs and lows and all that fit in there, and where are those specific examples in there that give that define your core values? That's a powerful thing to do. It's made a huge difference in people understanding who they are, but then when they hear other people's journey line to understand them better, how they communicate, what makes them tick, why they act the way they act. And all of a sudden you start to have a little bit of grace for each other and, uh, and a connection at a much deeper level that makes you much more effective as a leader. So, uh, you know, without getting into all of them, I think that's a that's a real powerful tool in reflection and in determining who you are as a leader.
2: That's awesome. Thank you. And Dr. Husted, you mentioned the Referent Group. Where's the best place for people to find information about the Referent Group and connect with you? Uh,
3: if you just go to our website, thereferentgroup.com, dot com, um, you'll have all the information there. It has my phone number? Would be you know happy to talk with you. Um, and we 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 love what we're doing. We feel like if we can help our our physicians and medical leaders be better at leaders, the whole hospital system will win. You know I. The, the global leadership. Some, if anybody's familiar with that, they always use a term every time. You know, every everybody wins when a leader gets better, and that's our intent. You know how do we how do we bring up the medical system because we're improving our leaders in it.
2: And Dr. Steele, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, you can email me at harkersteele
0: at mac dot com, or if there's a lot of great information at the Cleveland Clinic at my dot dot org. Uh, that is constantly uh, going out on a daily, uh, if not hourly basis.
2: Well, gentlemen, it's been an honor to to sit and listen to you all. I know I've learned a lot from, from this exchange. I wish you all well as you navigate uh, this moment in time at your respective uh, medical facilities and you lead your own uh, hospitals and uh, sincerely appreciate your time here today. Thank you very much.
0: Until next time, dominate the day.